Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to the latest episode of Seen Anything Good Lately. On this edition of my cultural chat show, I welcome acting giant David Thewlis and award-winning British jazz star Ashley Henry to find out about their most recent films and books, in David's case, and for Ashley, the latest concerts and album. And I ask them both if they've seen anything good lately. You know what, I've been watching the past few nights, which I've never ever seen. Your wife just started watching the Peep Show. I watched uh, DJ Premier Rizza, which wow. was literally a masterclass in beat making. I just lost my mind. It's so all there's... on IGTV. Yeah, yeah, all on IGTV. This is the podcast for you if you're looking for recommendations on what to watch or what books to turn to or some new music to try out. It's about guests sharing their passions for the things they've discovered and got hooked on. And don't you agree, there's nothing like hearing someone talk animatedly about the latest series they've got into or a new artist they're desperate to tell you about and share with you. That's the energy we harness on Seen Anything Good Lately. And I'd love your reactions and passions too. So get in touch through the website page and email saggle at jasonsolomons.com. That's S-A-G-L at jasonsolomons.com. And let me know if you agree with my guests and me or not. And tell me what we need to be watching or hearing instead. Right, here's what I've seen lately. There's been a lot of Muhammad Ali stuff on Sky recently, and I was rather taken amid it all with the doc Ali and Kavet, the tale of the tapes. It's about the interviews between the champ and the TV chat show host Dick Kavet, who was on American TV in the 70s. He was never a huge uh, chat show host, but he was one of the sort of nicest and finest and funniest, and uh, the guests on his were great. He wasn't as big as, uh, you know, Johnny Carson, but he, he was great, and this is a very... 70s time capsule I must say and it's wonderfully revealing about the champ and just obviously showcases his charisma but also the highs and lows he talks about his defeats on there quite a lot so that's Ali and Kavet the tale of the tapes I watched The Hate You Give uh, a film starring Amanda Stenberg it's a young adult Black Lives Matter movie and I watched it with my kids in the wake of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter uh, in a bid to start a conversation I thought it was the best film for younger viewers to get to grips with some of the issues and what was going on and it really provoked a wonderful conversation as a family perhaps the most grown up conversation we've ever had as a family it was a tough and emotional ride for the kids to watch because it's quite long but it was searingly relevant and you know they they really uh, drank it all in and really got to grips with it so um that was great the hate you give and sort of tangentially to that, I've uh, gone back to the Do The Right Thing soundtrack. I used to have it on cassette in my car, my first car, I played it all the time. Uh, but obviously the cassette got called munched up and I haven't really gone back to the whole soundtrack. Obviously I still love Fight The Power, uh, the, the theme song by uh, Public Enemy. But I've forgotten how good some of the tunes on that soundtrack were or how of the time, 89, they were. There's My Fantasy by Guy, uh, Perry, uh, a sort of soul singer who did feel so good on there. And there's an Al Jarreau track on there, Never Explain Love, I'd forgotten about that. And of course, the jingle by Take Six for Radio We Love. So that's what I've been up to, but it's time to introduce now my first guest on this show and find out if he's seen anything good lately. David Thewlis is basically a legend. He's one of my favourite actors. He broke through in the early 90s with Mike Lee's Naked and built a career as a distinctive screen presence in nearly a 100 films since, including Seven Years in Tibet opposite Brad Pitt, 
Remus Lupin in the Harry Potter series. He was in War Horse, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, Anomalisa for director Charlie Kaufman, Besieged for Bernardo Bertolucci, Gangster Number One, Justin Kurtzel's recent Macbeth, as well as Fargo on TV and the BBC's An Inspector Calls. It's hard to leave any Thewlis performance out, no matter how major the role, as he always makes such a distinctive mark. He's now playing Jim, a restaurant inspector calling in The Guest of Honour by Canadian director Atom Egoyan, in which the meticulous Jim must unravel the mystery of his daughter's imprisonment. It's a role that brings out the best in David Thewlis. David, how lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. And congratulations congratulations on Jim. What a great part that is in uh, in The Guest of Honour. Yeah, I'm I'm very fond of of him. He's he's, he's a little different to what I usually play. I usually play kind of some kind of strung out, freaky psychos. And uh, he's relatively normal, this fellow. I mean, he's still got his his, his moments, his eccentricities, but he's, he's, uh, he's relatively straight laced for me. Was that was he like that on the page, or did you think mm, I'm gonna? I mean, you know, when you cast David Thewlis, sometimes you think, well, he should be a bit eccentric, and you, you you're gonna go for something a bit outlandish. But what was he like when you when you got the script? Was it Atom Egoyan said to you, and I just wanted him to play a sort of fairly normal character because the layers grow on him, don't they? After a while. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. I mean, because you come to discover him through if you're familiar with Atom Egoyan's work, he works in this kind of prismatic time scale, all almost always with all his films. So you never. I think there are about, I'm not sure, about five timescales in this film. So you're never quite sure which one you're in at any time. Is there a, a person that you research? Can you research a sort of role like this one? I mean, I've never seen you doing this sort of thing before. No, uh, no it's not a popular choice of occupation for film roles. Apparently Donald Sutherland did play a lead part as a restaurant, restaurant inspector. And I forget which movie that was in, because actually Donald Sutherland's uh, son, Rossif, is in, is in the movie. And he told me that his father had played a restaurant inspector. So I nearly called Donald this in my back. <laughs> the point is that it is an Atom Egoyan film, so therefore you know that there's just going to be peeling back of time scales and, and, and layers. Uh, were you fam- you were familiar with his work uh, from, from way back? I was, I was, yeah. I'd, I'd seen pretty much... Not, no, I've not seen everything since he's done so much, but I then have seen everything since. And, um, you know, I, 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 I always adored his work. I think you could always tell an Atom Egoyan film, even if you didn't see the credits, this... Um, you know the timescale thing is it's all is always present it's a beautiful way of telling a story and particularly this story because there are some secrets to be revealed it is a bit so confusing it is a bit confusing it, it when you watch it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but, I, but I think you have to let that happen don't you some some films are just like well i i know i'm going to be confused because that's amazing i'm going to i'm going to let yeah. it unfurl itself and reveal itself to me yeah, and I think it becomes a little more unpredictable in that way because, you know, we've got so wise at working things out these days in linear storytelling. You you know, if, if there's some kind of whodunit, you're always looking out for who is the most unlikely, therefore it's got to be them. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to pull that trick off, I find, these days. Although I thought that film Knives Out did that rather wonderfully recently in terms of, uh, you know, tricking you, wrong-footing you as it went on. And I was just reminded, obviously, can should have come to an end last weekend uh, one of your glory nights winning the the best uh, best actor there in what 93 for naked 93 yeah yeah, yeah. and i wondered yeah. if that if if whenever can comes around i mean obviously it didn't come around this year if that uh, if that delivers a little pang for you oh it does cuz that was such a such a, a very very special time i've only i've only been i only went quite recently about 3 4 years ago i went back for macbeth Justin Kurzel's Macbeth with uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, Marion Cotillard. And I was there just for one night. I was flown in and I just did the whole red carpet thing and I had to fly out the next morning. And then I got a pang because 
you know, it never changes. And, and it was, I've got to say, one of the great nights of my life winning that because mainly because it was so, so completely unexpected. I never dreamed that something like that would happen to me. And it was, it was a, a good night. It was had, I got very drunk with Gary Oldman, I seem to remember. <laughs> Well remembered. When At least Harry you remembered was, it. When Harry was drinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I only got this photographic evidence. <laughs> Well, the other thing I was uh, thinking about the other day uh, was I was re-watching with my kids um, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, yes. which um, I think is an extraordinarily powerful performance from you. Really difficult one, though. Really difficult to play uh, that and come out with him, come out, you know, with that character intact. I mean, he's such a villain, but you managed, yeah, you managed to make him all right, you know, didn't you? When you play a, a, a villain, you know, a bad guy, whatever you call it, um, there's always part of you as an actor that tries to find something in there that you can identify with and find something likable even that you can relate to. And of course, with that guy, you couldn't at all. And, um, but what I did read, there is actually an autobiography by Rudolf Hoss, who was the commandant of Auschwitz. And I say autobiography, it literally is an autobiography. It sounds very sort of celebrity these days, but he was ordered to write it after the Nuremberg trials. And it's, and it's a fascinating book. I recommend anyone to read it. In fact, Primo Levi recommends everyone to read it because it's, real insight into the mind of a bureaucrat who was more concerned with buying the right type of barbed wire, you know. It's, it's, uh, so it's a very hard character to get my head around, really, but, you know, I was playing a father, and a father who loved his children. It's a very hard one to get your, your head around. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones that lasts and lasts. I don't know if, when, when you've done... I didn't... I mean, researching this, uh, not much research, I saw on IMDb, it says 97 films that you've done. Is it? I thought it was 100 by now. Well, maybe not, only 97 are out by now, and I've got three coming, four coming out. So I think I'm going to hit 100 with... I did a film with Charlie Kaufman, and I think that last year, and I think that's going to be my 100th. Because I remember thinking, not, that's uh, not... Uh, a follow-up to Anomalisa. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and it's with myself, Tony Collette, uh, Jesse Plemons, and Jesse Buckley. And I remember when I was doing that, I looked at IMDb and thought, and I've just done the thing called uh, Eternal Beauty with Craig Roberts with uh, Sally Hawkins, and then I did this thing called Rare Beast with Billy Piper directing. And then uh, Charlie Kaufman's film seemed to me to hit 100. So um, that will be a hundred films, and I thought well, that's pretty cool. My hundredth film was Charlie Kaufman. A hundred's quite good, David. It's quite a good innings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's gone above that now because I've done some things beyond that. But yeah, no, I'm very, I, I am proud to have done that. Maybe I'll celebrate when Charlie's film comes out and when it clicks onto a hundred on IMDb. Right, I'll, I'll I'll be there with you. I think that, that yeah. that's definitely worth uh, definitely worth marking, especially when you know it's it's probably not something you ever thought you were gonna you know clock up. No, no, I never thought I was gonna do one film. I remember going to see a, a film well, just after I left drama school. You know, back then there was only Gary Oldman and Tim Roth who were in movies. I remember going to the cinema and see, seeing a film with uh, with Tim Roth in it. I can't remember what it was called with John Hurt in it also. And just sat there, and I was an I've just left drama school and going imagine. If you could be in a movie, that would just be the most extraordinary thing. It'll never happen, but it, just imagine. That's incredible. Because that guy, Tim Wright, he's not so much older than me, and there he is in a movie at the cinema. And now everyone's in a movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what have you been watching? Have you seen anything good lately, David Thewlis? You know what I've been watching the past few nights, which I've never ever seen? You know, I could just start watching The Peep Show, uh, which has really dated us <laughs> right from episode one. I'm only on episode four right now. I've never seen it. And uh, I, th- I think I'd sort of watched it once and I thought all that thing of the camera, camera point of view was getting on my nerves. Yeah. I turned it off and I've come to kind of love David Mitchell on what I lied to you over the years and his writing and I just adore his comedy. And I was like, I should check that peep show thing out that I never gave a chance back in the early 2000s. So I've been watching that. And how and is really, it? Is it funny? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I'm really, I'm really loving it. I'm and you've really, got, you got Oscar winning, really, Oscar winning actress in there in Olivia Coleman. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, yes. Who I uh, hopefully I'm going to be working with um, soon. So that's, that was also another incentive. I forgot Olivia was in it, but there's something that hopefully is going to happen um, in, in, depending on what's happening with filming right now in, in the whole world, you know, when it, when things happen, because things are all getting clashing together from commitments we made long ago and things that are lined up and things so it's, it's very confusing with the future of one's work yeah uh, and how, how, are you, how are you feeling about going into something like a socially distanced bit of acting well i just don't know how it's going to work really i'm really genuinely puzzled because film sets tv sets they're you know they're, they're by, by their nature intimate they're, uh, uh, everyone is has to be, I, I don't see how you could really I've heard that, you know, the ways we're going to do it, there's going to be crews wearing PPE and uh, crews going into quarantine. Like we're now with Jim Cameron and John Lando just arriving in New Zealand for Avatar, I know they've got to go into quarantine for 14 days, especially since they're coming from the States into New Zealand, the, 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 the most, you know, where the cases are the worst to where the cases are the best. And so there's no one in New Zealand, I don't think, right now. So they're going into 14 days quarantine. And I hear that might be the case in the next thing I do is that we have to, the actors and the crew are all quarantined for those weeks. And then we have to stay safe whilst we're making uh, the show. Um, but, uh, but I don't know how you can be, you can't be socially distanced from another actor if you're doing certain scenes, you know, all fighting and kissing and hugging and um, shouting in each other's faces. I don't know. I don't really. It's impossible. You can't be wearing. You can't, you can't just make lockdown dramas from now on. <laughs> yeah. with people wearing masks. You know, doing it on Zoom like this. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Being in celebrity squares for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> what else have you been watching then? Have you so you've started on Peep Show? You must have had a look, a look at a few films over this period. I have. I saw Midsummer the other night. I'll just go back in terms of what I can remember. Um, Florence that Pugh. Was Florence Pugh, who I'd never seen before. She was fantastic. And uh, Jack Rayner, mm. my son in Macbeth, so I wrote him a text going like, I just saw you in Midsummer. That that was all perfectly reasonable. No, <laughs> <laughs> I have no questions whatsoever. Uh, it's Jack, well, I'll, I'll, anyone who's not seen it, I won't say what happens to Jack Rayner. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I watched the Rules of the Game. Le Règle ah, du Jeu. Yeah. I watched that. You know, my wife is. French, which gives me a right to watch very arty uh, <laughs> um, classic French films because she educates me on what I should be watching. Not the sort of thing I would ever put on, but she's like, oh, you've got to watch the classics. Oh, with Jean Gabin. It's, it's just brilliant. I mean, though. Well, they're... another, yeah, so another bonkers one. I mean, really, that's quite, you know, I, I thought it was like some very serious uh, detective stories. Clearly just cr crackers that film. Yeah, no, they're, they're not as, you know, they, they might be arty because they're French. We think they're French, but they're not actually that. Yeah, yes, yes, not actually. <laughs> it's kind of quite a big budget <laughs> and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you were like watching Normal People or one of those that got... Uh... Oh, I did watch Normal People. There you actually, see. Yes, that's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I watched. Yes, 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 because it was really highly recommended to me by an old neighbour of mine who thought it was the greatest thing she'd ever seen and it changed her life. Um, she, and she wrote a rather wonderful piece about it and um so i thought i really really should should give that a look i'm not being such a fan of the book i did read the book uh, when it first came out and uh but i thought i thought it was i thought it was rather wonderfully done actually um i thought those two actors were fantastic weren't they great yeah really really fantastic and i was all set not to like it i was all like well let's see what they've done with that book and i and my apologies 
Sally Rooney for saying that. But um, I, <laughs> well, she wrote she wrote the uh, the screenplay as well, so you know. She yes, yeah, well, exactly. So well, so so excellent work. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. The book lots of set, lots of sex in there as well. Yeah, well, that'll never happen again. No, that's that is it, isn't you it? You won't be able to make that now. It's, it's <laughs> Tested. You know, and are you a, are you a reader, David Thewlis? What have you been reading? Yes, you have to know in a book. Well, in fact, what's I, I just finished writing a book on on the day of lockdown. I handed in my was my second novel, and it was actually a book that Adam McGoyan advised me to write because I told him about an idea I had for a film, and I showed him some notes I had on it, and he's like, "That's a book. It's a book. But you must do it as a book." I've not been able to um, um, get down to any writing during this lockdown, and not actually much uh much much reading um i've only been able to sort of read short stories i've not been able to get my you know tackle a, a it's novel. extraordinary a lot of my guests on this slot have, have said that they had real trouble sort of settling yeah. into reading maybe the concentration's yeah. gone or there's a lethargy set in but reading seems to be yeah. one thing that said short stories are all right i've been reading the, the stories of william trevor uh and he's he's an immense book so that's 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 kept me going did not atom did he not do Felicity's yeah, Journey that Atom O'Connor exactly, directed? Exactly. Well, it was it was Atom again who, who got me into William Trevor, and I was very surprised. I'd never heard of William Trevor, which was, I'm, and I consider myself fairly well read and uh, good education, and but I'd never come across William Trevor. Now I just, you know, totally, utterly. Yeah, I'd never heard of him until I remember seeing uh, it's Bob Hoskins, wasn't it, in Felicity's Journey? Yeah, 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 and uh, and uh, Elaine Castle. Can I ask you not, what your novel's about? Well, I mean, who have you given it to a publisher or to an agent or? Yeah, yeah yes, yes, yes. My, my it's 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 with my agent right now. The, the, the two main characters are a an aging British film director um, of some renown, not based on anyone. <laughs> you don't know any of them. <laughs> And it's not based. It's not. It's really not based on a particular person. I should say this for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah. And um, and a, an actress in her thirties, whom this director pays to go and live in his house in France and play his recently deceased wife uh, on video call. So that I, I was like, I wonder if people know much about video calls. That's now this is all happening. I was like, yeah, video calls, whatever. They'll say uh, that you wrote this during lockdown. They won't believe you. Yeah, We've got the evidence yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what that it does worry me a bit because it's like it's it's a big central part of the plot. I mean, it's, it's a man, and and it, and the, the calls are very lit by a cinematographer, and and she drifts in and out with shadows in a very noirish way, so that each plausibly believes, and she does a very good impression of. The wife, we get close to understanding the, the wife committed suicide and the actress gets closer to understanding why um, the wife committed suicide uh, as the film director is back in England uh, shooting his final film. Wow. We've had the whole plot there. Well, not the whole plot. I've never, at all. I've never seen it before. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. yeah, that's, not, that's not spoiling too much. No, it sounds brilliant. Well, you've always had a, a lovely way with words, anyway, David. You're like you love speaking them, and you're so brilliant with them. So, uh, you know, I think it'd be oh, fantastic you. writing them. Uh, amazing to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, enjoy the rest of Peep Show for some light entertainment. Yeah, well, well, I'll catch up with you next year. It's, it's nine. Yeah, it's, it's nine. This is quite long. Yeah, it seems to be around I'm for a long time. Understand how David Mitchell looks like he looks now by the end. Of it. Yeah, exactly. About fifteen in it right now, uh, and then we'll celebrate the uh, the hundredth Thewlis movie when it comes out. Yes, yes, we'll I'll, do that. I'll but be... for now, we'll we'll look at uh, we'll look at your gym in guest of honour with Adam Egoin and and enjoy that. And good luck with that when it as it as it comes out in a million homes. It is streaming. It's not going in the cinema, I guess. So it's been in cinema. No, it's, it's going into Curzon. Yes, yeah, yeah, but it's it's been at Venice and it's been at Toronto. So you've had the you've had the big screen experience with it.
Yeah, I've heard people clapping. Yeah, <laughs> well done. <laughs> really lovely to catch up with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, keep well, yeah? Take care. Cheers, Bye-bye. David. And guest of honour starring David Thewlis is on Curtain Home Cinema right now. Watch out for his new novel a bit later. My next guest on this show is the supremely talented pianist Ashley Henry. He's 28, very tall, from South London, and during the recent lockdown, he played a live stream gig as part of the Royal Albert Hall's Royal Albert Home series. His album, Beautiful Vinyl Hunter, earned Ashley awards nominations and reviews such as one of the best jazz albums in years. With its mix of jazz styles, London hip-hop, soulful vocals and Solange covers. I caught up with Ashley as he was preparing his performance for the Royal Albert Hall by making the world-famous venue in his own living room, and to find out what other types of culture influence this wide-rangingly funky musician. How, how, how's it going to work? How do you do it from, from home? What's the technical specifics of doing Royal Albert Home? Uh, Royal Albert Home is, yeah, we just have to have like decent enough equipment for good audio and good sound, as long as um, you're seen clearly and uh, the sound quality is good. That's what the people at Royal Albert Home mostly mostly are worried about because it's about the experience I mean and um the listener needs to still feel connected even though they're watching from home and what what's gonna what's gonna happen to the city are you are you have you spoken to like everyone I mean you know you're not alone you would have been touring with a band a lot of your your friends your mates would have been gigging all over London you know that's such a scene we had exploding particularly in that jazz definitely Definitely. I feel that this is might not put a dampener on it. Maybe it'll make people want for more. What's the what's the vibe? What what what, what your what your colleagues saying? It's interesting actually how I've, I think it's amazing how we as a musicians community have been dealing with this situation in a very communal way, and how everyone's been reaching out to each other, showing support, watching each other's streams, buying each other's merch. You know, just showing that initial support because we're all going through the same thing and have that underlying understanding. And I think everyone's kind of in the same boat in terms of using the time now to keep the creative juices flowing mm. and to find other ways to be creative. A lot of people like myself, you know, are sending stuff back and forth to people from different countries because, you know, everyone else is around, everyone else is at home. So it's actually a good opportunity for doing those collaborations that you always thought, oh, I really want to do something with this person, but everyone's always touring and it sometimes it just doesn't work out. So you know, now's a good time to utilize that. And so what also, you're, you're getting hooked up as, with people. You're saying, can I email you some stuff? I'm going to send you like uh, some a composition and maybe you can put some lyrics to it. Or is that how it works? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. You send like little, little files back and forth and people add to it. And then before you know it, you have like a fully fledged tune or a demo or, you know, as soon as this gets wiped out, you can actually go in the studio and maybe record it or maybe you're happy with how it is. Wow, yeah, so we, we might get some, like, lockdown collabs that are, you know, pretty good, well enough produced anyway. Their technology is pretty much there to do it that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's there's going to be so much music coming out, and if tours are actually going to happen from autumn onwards, it's going to be a very busy autumn. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll just be, I suppose you'll, you'll just relish it even more, having been suddenly denied that experience, especially when you've got a beautiful new album like you, and you want to tour it and, and, and give it to people. You're going to dance, are they sitting, are they nodding, are they clapping? You know, mm. I guess you hadn't quite formed yet exactly how this album was going to be received. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I, I mean, I had no preconceptions how the album was going to be received, but I've, I've been loving the reception so far, having, you know, getting BBC Radio 6, 
albums of the year, uh, winning album of the year for the Jazz Japan Awards and, you know, taking my music to New York with Giles Peterson and just the re- the, the reception, the initial reception from people has been absolutely amazing and i was just i just couldn't wait to just take it to festivals and now i was really looking forward to seeing you at festivals i thought i definitely can go i'm going to dance to it as well because there's so many different influences in there and you'd i guess you'd have had sort of guest vocalists up there and i don't know if you'd have been doing between the lines what you did with k and harold uh doing that live that's that's what i love i love how everyone has their different favorites from the album. I can ask 10 different people what their favorite track is and I'll get 10 different answers. So um, I like, I kind of like the fact that people are kind of guessing what what's going to happen on stage, what tunes is actually going to play. Because sometimes we like to just switch it up. Which is what and... you're going to, I guess this is the, the perfect opportunity now to do it solo. I don't know exactly. if you, you, you might, might never have done this one. So actually this is even a bit of a challenge to you. I mean, I'm going to tell you that my favorite on the album in terms of like the pure jazzness of ashley henry is sunrise and i reckon that uh, works pretty well say it solo yeah i've actually played that solo before a few times so um that's definitely going to be thrown in the mix well should we have a little listen to sunrise i haven't got the solo version yet i've only got the uh the the, the album version but i'm going to play sunrise oh, okay. now just play that and we'll come back to you Ashley Henry and Sunrise. What, what is, that, is that track about London Sunrise? That's why I think it is. Yeah. So what happened with that track is, is that um, when I was a kid growing up in South London, the the number one radio station for the black community at the time was Choice FM. And every single morning uh, from the kitchen, like we always had like a, a radio on whenever, mm. you know, everyone was getting up and having breakfast and stuff. And Choice FM was always playing from from uh from downstairs and every time i woke up in the morning i could hear the music playing from choice of m and uh at the time you know uk garage was kind of booming so um there was a lot of that being played so every time i'd wake up to go to school i'd always hear that kind of that same similar kind of drum loop you know the the kind of uk garage feel so i wanted to do a tune that incorporated that with the jazz that I love and so yeah. that that's kind of that's how it came around yeah no that's definitely and I, I noticed that you've done a um you've done a playlist on Spotify that has got like your influences yeah. behind Beautiful Vinyl Hunter and I got down to the bottom and it was uh there was Moving Too Fast by Artful Dodger and I yeah, thought there's his check in the UK garage scene right there yeah it's um even if you wanted to ignore it you couldn't like especially growing up in South London and um UK Garage at the time before Grime came about was such a big landmark in the ever-growing theme of uh, Black British identity. Absolutely, and and, and and but throughout that list, there's you know you've got it's a great list because there's like there's the streets are in there. There's Omar in there. You definitely check mm. him. There's uh, Chopin. I notice, which is a quite yeah yeah good mix. yeah. I'm um, I'm a classical pianist first. And then comes in the Nas and the Pharrell and the the Jay Z. I've got such a wide range of influences. It's uh, yeah, it's crazy. Especially living in the generation I live in, where it's like, I remember when Spotify first came around, or when the iPod first came around, where you could actually listen to so many different types of music without 
having to change the CD or change your tape or whatnot. So growing up, like in your teens, in a time where you could literally listen to a hip hop track and then skip and then listen to a grime track and then skip it again and then listen to something else. It's yeah, it's amazing how uh, being a jazz musician as well, you can just incorporate all of that. There's no rules, no boundaries, and yeah, is that for you? I mean, that's that seems to me what this sound, what your you you and your 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 whole kind of new generation of jazz musicians sound is. I guess jazz was always doing it, but it does seem that mm. you can magpie from anywhere. You can really absorb all the influences that you that you've got. As you say, you could you can hop from one to the other. Yeah, definitely, it definitely loops back to what I was saying with uh, just that that ongoing growing theme of like black British identity, which is still happening now. And all we're doing as jazz musicians is reflecting that. So to incorporate all of that with our jazz is just a natural thing to do, yeah, especially it's... with all the new subgenres that we have to draw influences on as well. Yeah. Well, it's sounding fantastic on your, on your album, I have to say. So I agree with oh, thank all you. the awards. Um, I know you, you're obviously listening to a lot of stuff, but Ashley Henry, have you seen anything good lately? Oh, um, Timberland and Swiss Beats actually, are, I don't know if you know, like they're, they've done this really amazing like uh, Instagram live series where they get two producers, like literally two of the most amazing producers and they go back to back and play like all the hits that they've produced and people decide who wins. So the beat battles of, on that has been amazing. I watched uh, Lil John and T-Pain, which was cool. It was like a throwback to secondary school. I watched... Um, <laughs> I watched uh, DJ Premier Rizza, which wow. was literally a masterclass in beat making. I just lost my mind. It's so all on IGTV, Instagram TV. Yeah, yeah, all on IGTV. And um, there's actually some really amazing um, online exhibitions on the Tech Model website as well. Um, there's a really good exhibition with uh, Ed Rusher, which is cool. Mm. It really incorporates like sound, visuals, and yeah, words. Got, I how that incorporates you got a, together. I love the illustration on your album cover, which has got that sort of modernist art, art feel. Are, are you into graphic art then? Yeah, I, I, I love art. I love going to exhibitions when I can. When I'm not touring, when I'm not touring, I'm literally at an exhibition. And um, the, the last thing I actually saw in the flesh was Steve McQueen's exhibition at the Tech Modern, which is amazing, man. Yeah, just, I mean, you must you just because it was only just open, really. To the, you got in there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, literally, I had to get in there quick. Um, so yeah, I love I love art and how I can incorporate that with my music and and visuals as well. Like mm. visuals play such a big part in my music as well as you know different influences sounds um you've been watching any good films i watched uh i'm a documentaries guy so the last last thing i watched was that birth of the cool miles davis documentary it was amazing actually. stanley nelson it's a great film isn't it yeah and loop and looping back to the visual side of things some of the photography in there is just ridiculous the like in a in Birth of the Cool. Yeah, is it? I mean, just the still photography in there is just great and the way it moves yeah. and tells the story. I, I just thought it was like, because I, I watched it and I thought, oh, do I, am I learning anything new about Miles that I didn't know? But the way it was just kind of going through his albums and his story and his women and it, it yeah. just kept ad- adding new layers to this person, you know, and, this, uh, and by exactly. the end, it was like an entirely new portrait of him. I thought it was amazing, beautiful stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be honest, two hours isn't enough time to tell the story of Miles Davis. So there's there's always going to be that thing of ah oh, you could have put this in put more of this in there you could have you know talked about this more but you know it's Miles Davis like you could do 
a documentary series about him yeah. just about each phase of his life i noticed there's a on on your on your on your curated playlist on spotify there is a there's a miles track i think it steps ahead you've gone for actually on that must have been difficult to choose which one yeah oh god so so many tracks to choose from but uh, yeah the first uh miles track i definitely fell in love with was seven steps to heaven and i think that's just when he was just starting the second great quintet as well so you know, you had what a twenty-three-year-old Herbie Hancock and a sixteen-year-old Tony Williams, and just the energy and yeah, I just remember just that energy you got from just listening to it. I was just like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. And I think that comes across in 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 the film. You know, I think that, those different quartets. I think the energy of the young Miles really come and the beauty of it as well. The se- there's one bit where someone says, "Oh, he was just." I think it's even Herbie Hancock sort of says, "Oh, he was just like sexy." You know, you just wanna. You just want to, you just want to, you know, you wish someone could kiss me like his trumpet did, I think someone says. So mm. it's pretty, pretty sexy stuff, actually, in that film. Uh, a great choice, that. A really, uh, really fine choice. The other thing I want to talk to you about is that on that playlist, you've got quite a bit of Earth, Wind and Fire, Ashley Henry, which I pay full respect yeah. to. What is it about Earth, Wind and Fire? With Earth, Wind and Fire, um, my my family have like the biggest vinyl collection at home so literally we've got um well the garage is literally just full of vinyl and when how i basically i grew up studying classical piano but then i would then when there was music playing in the house like my family would play vinyls around in the house and stuff and they'd play a lot of earth wind and fire because my dad just loves earth wind and fire so it'd be played in the same room that the piano was there. So um, I would learn all those songs by ear. Yeah. So I was kind of doing that before I studied jazz. I didn't start listening or studying jazz till I was about 18. So during that whole time growing up, I was kind of, without realising, I was kind of learning the nuts and bolts of how a song works and different chords. And I I couldn't tell you what those chords were, but, you know, I understood the colours. Yes. Yes, the colours. And in fact, even if you look at the album covers on Earth, Wind & Fire, they are so colourful, aren't they? They kind of go from hot oranges into sort of into night misty blues. It's all about the colours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, all of their stuff has a lot of jazz harmony in it, which I didn't realise you know, until I was a lot older when it all came full circles. Like, oh, it's just this. Ashley Henry, it's been brilliant to have you on scene the thing good lately. Really lovely to speak to you, mate. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks so much for having me. And you can see that Ashley Henry performance on the Albert Hall's website, royalalberthall.com. That's it for another podcast of Seen Anything Good Lately. Check out the Saggle page on jasonsolomons.com for all those recommendations from my superbly knowledgeable guests with their impeccable tastes. And also, let me know yours. Tell me if you've seen anything good lately. Email saggle at jasonsolomons.com. And I'll see you soon with brilliant guests still to come on this series, including Woody Allen, Mark Cousins, the rap star speech from Arrested Development, Greta Skaki and Gangs of London director Gareth Evans, and White Riot filmmaker Rubika Shah. There's so much more on Seen Anything Good Lately. Mm-hmm.